Here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Luke chapter 15, and it is such a precious lesson, but it is kind of surrounded by all the past of what we have learned. And, and we know that the Pharisees have been very difficult, and Jesus has loved them. He has tried. And this is where I really want to be more and more like Jesus, because how you, how you deal with difficult people. Sometimes, isn't it hard to deal with difficult people? And, and sometimes we don't handle difficult people well. And sometimes we run out of patience. And, and I know for me, I, I think, why don't you listen? Why don't you do it? What is the problem? And I, I think I get, imp- I, I get impatient because you should know this by now. We've gone over this a hundred times. And, and so, you know, I think some of, some of my problem is saying, what's your problem? And we just have to be patient because Jesus' example and how he dealt with the Pharisees, I mean, it broke his heart. He loved them. And you're going to see in today's lesson how he never stopped going after because sometimes you just want to say, well, then nuts to you. I know, doesn't that sound terrible? But I think you just, you know, I tried. I give up. And in this tonight just really kind of hit home for me because Jesus never gave up. He never gave up on people. And, and he tried. Now, I do admire his different approaches. I mean, he tried so many different approaches. He talked to the Pharisees, you know, really kindly, nice, you know. And then he would talk to them really quite firm. And then he even had a chapter, woe to you, six times, woe to you. I'm warning you. I mean, that was a really severe one. And then last week, I have to say, I mean, he even used humiliation, kind of, because, you know, we know the parable that he told, you know, because, you know, there he is sitting, you know, with those Pharisees, and I still marvel at how come he even went to their their house knowing full well that they haven't changed, and they're just out to find some goods on them so that they can bring it to Rome and get them killed, and I mean, and he still goes, and, and yeah, they keep watching him and watching him. And, but then he tells this parable about, you know, you know what the bottom, bottom problem is? You know, you know what you are battling the most with, Pharisees? It's your pride. Now, he doesn't come right out and say that, but he tells this parable. He says, you know, you know when, you, when you want, when you all want to go for those front row seats, you know, you all want to see how, how important you are, and you want everybody to see how important you are. So everybody's going after those front seats. And then he kind of goes back and he says, but, you know, why, why do that? Because wonder if, if someone who has got a bigger social status than you, and then the host has to come to you and say, oh, excuse me, um, we need your seat. And then you've got to get up and you've got to, and, and the, the word humiliation is in there. And so you can tell that Jesus is trying so hard to get them to see, that's me, I do that. And, and then, you know, and then, he, and then he told the parable about who's invited to this banquet, Who's invited to this banquet? And, and then he, he, he tells how, you know, I went to the center of Jerusalem. I went to, basically, no, he's saying, the master went 
had a servant go to the center of Jerusalem and invite the Jews because after all, you know, they're God's chosen people and they should be just thrilled to be able to come to the master's banquet. But they come up with all these excuses. We talked about how an excuse is just a nice way of saying you don't want and you could just tell by their heart condition they didn't want any part of this. And when you look and you watch the Jews and they follow Baal worship and you know how they, they just turn their back on the most wonderful thing. And then of course now Jesus is trying to get those Pharisees after studying for years and years to attain the position in the Sanhedrin that they have you know, they know all of Isaiah. They know all of the promises, the hundreds of years that Jesus was promised. And Jesus is standing right before him, and they will not see that. So, you know, you know that these parables are trying to get, get them to somehow click and say, oh, yes, that's right. That is me. And so what did he tell the servant? Okay, they don't want to come. Then you go, you go into the town. It's still, it's still Jerusalem, but go, go in the alleys. Go down some of the side streets. There you're going to find a different kind of caliber of people. I mean, some will have special needs, but they're not going to have the social status of center of town. But you go invite them. And so they were invited. They came. And then, and then, servant says, we invited them. They're all here, but there's still room. And so then, then the master says, this time I want you to go way to the countryside. I want you to go way out of town. I want you to go to the highways and the byways. I want you to go way out there. Now, this we know from, from culture. People who were the lowest in the social standard, they were the ones, the, the ones that that were worthless, that really didn't amount to anything or contribute or add to. So they're just out of town. And the master said, you go tell them and you make them come. The King James says, compel them to come. And that's a beautiful word. But compel really basically means make them. And I never thought that Jesus made anybody come, and he doesn't. But in this, in this, um, in this scripture, in, in this paragraph, in this story, you can see what he's saying. You make sure they know, because they are loved, and they are worth it to me. And I want them there, because I'm sure that when they're invited to what? A fancy banquet in the center of Jerusalem? Oh, can't do that. There's no way. I can't possibly relate to that. No, I am not worthy. And I can almost hear the master, of course, who is Jesus, saying, you tell them they are. You make sure. See, I think it's more of a you make sure instead of you make them come. It's more of a make sure they know just how valuable they are and worth it to me. And I want them here. And then we saw how, how it cost. Yes, it does cost to follow Jesus. And then he, he used this word hate. And that's such a strong word. Unless you hate your mother and father and brothers and sisters, you think, you know what? I'm supposed to hate now my family? Of course not. Not the way we know hate. But what he uses that strong word for is to kind of show us, I 
want you to love me so much more than anything or anyone of this world. And so I'm going to use the word hate because in, in the space of things, you're supposed to love me so much more that it almost looks like you're hating your mother and father and brothers and sisters, just so that you know there's, you're to love me so much more. I'm supposed to be so much greater in your life. That makes sense to me. And he said, and, and unless that happens in your life, you can't be my disciples. So yes, it does cost. But I am just discovering the more and more that I went over it this week. I thought, yes, it does cost. And sometimes, yeah, it hurts. Sometimes, you know, people say, or you take it under the chin or, you know, but, but that's so immaterial. I just love it when Paul says, someday when we stand there, we're going to look back at our life and we think of how hard it was and how we struggled and, you know, how we took it under the chin and how mean people were sometimes and, and all that and, and what you had to go through and, you know, some of the, you know, the, the hurts and the pain and the suffering and the whys and the disappointments and you just name it, it could go on. We, we just so labor on that sometime. And someday, Paul says, we're going to stand in glory and we're going to take a look at all of our life and say, and that's all I had to go through to be able to get all this. And then we're, it's going to be put in perspective. And it's like, there's where, there's where it all, there's where our forever begins. Even though the kingdom of God and our, and our eternal life begins at our salvation. But there's something about when we know that when we see him, when all sin is gone and evil is banished and Satan is thrown into hell, and it seems like it's then when you think, oh, right now, bring on my forever. And the only reason that that's possible is, again, through our, our salvation. So, what is my point here? Yeah, it's going to cost being one of Christ's disciples, a follower of his. But I'm telling you, it's going to cost a whole lot more if you don't. The cost of not doing it is going to be so much more. Because when you stand in front of him and he says, I never knew you, oh. So I would say, is, yes, it does cost to be a follower. But the, the cost of not becoming one is far greater. So now we have this setting in, in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered together. They were all gathering together, and they were all gathering around. It's almost like you can picture them. It's like, you know, when Matthew, when, when Jesus called Matthew to be one of his disciples, and then, you know, in that, that, very, that very night or something, they, they had this gathering with the tax collectors, you know, Jesus just loved going to places like that. He loved that opportunity. He loved going where he knew people needed him so badly. He wasn't afraid to rub elbows with the sinners. Because he understood it. That's why he came. And so you can almost picture this, this same kind of gathering. These tax collectors and these sinners, they're gathering around because they know that what he's going to say is going to give them so much more life. I mean real life. And they want to know more. It's like you can see them hungering. I want to know more. But then look at verse 2. But... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were muttering, 
This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I mean, I had to really think this one through because what I finally came to the conclusion, and I really believe it was the insight from the Lord, is that what we've got in verses 15, chapter 15, 1 and 2, is that we've got two different kinds of sinners. And I never really thought about that. I mean, I think even with church people, I think if you would talk to church people, I don't think there would be anybody, if asked the question, um, are you a sinner? I think everybody would, of course, they would not say, no, 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 I'm perfect. I mean, they know, I think they might think they are, um, but they're not, and so they don't want to brag. So, oh yeah, they're a sinner. I think the consensus would be 100%. I think everybody would admit that they were sinners. So if we just kind of go with that, that everybody knows they're a sinner, but we've got two different kinds of sinners. One who is gathering around saying, tell me how I can get out of this. Tell me how you can help me out of this. Because the more that I'm in this, the more I hate it. The more I see what I'm doing and how I am, I want out of this. And so I want to learn. But you got the religious leaders, and again I say church people who who are believing this lie, who are deluded. I read something, Charles Spurgeon, I love his quote. He said, the soul is so valuable that the devil and God himself are fighting for it. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, that's how valuable our soul is. Because the devil and God himself, they're fighting, they're both fighting for it. Now, here we have two different kinds of sinners. And here we have in verse 2, we've got the, the person, the people there who, if you would really ask, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner, but, you know, compared to verse 1, oh, no. That's why in the questions, you know, I just, I just started by asking you, why, why does Jesus welcome sinners? Why does he welcome sinners? Because he knows we need him. We, he knows that we need to be saved. He knows that we're lost without him. And so he welcomes all sinners. And what do you know about that verse? All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So that includes you. That includes me. Oh, I can remember, you know, one time when I gave my testimony. And, and the, the thing is, when I started this concert in Minnesota and the church was full and, and everything, you know, it's one of those Dutch churches that you know that three-fourths of them are there because they feel obligated because that's what you do on a Sunday night, especially when somebody's come from out of town. And, and my mom and dad will be watching to see if I'm here because it's a family church. You know, it's that kind of attitude. And the man in the front row was looking at us watching my first song already. He couldn't wait to get out of there. And I thought, you know what? This is going to be one bust of a night. So, Lord, please give me something to say after this first song that will somehow get their attention. And I knew it was testimony time. I knew it was testimony time. And I think you're going to see the value of what I'm saying here in this example to what we're going to see at the end of this chapter because, you know, everybody has levels of sin. And we think that 
that, you know, if you've really been a prodigal or if you've really, if you, like for me, if you've been a prostitute, and I, I don't talk like this, so I know it had to be of the Lord. I asked him, and this is what came out of my mouth. I said, you're going to get my testimony right now. And I bet if I told you I was a prostitute, and I, that man in the front row, his head almost fell off his shoulders because he jerked up so fast because I think he was so ready to hear, this is going to be good. See, we all love that kind of story. Oh, boy, they got saved. Oh, thank goodness. You know, and, and then I, I say to him, you know, no, no. Uh, I almost wanted to say, I hate to disappoint you. I mean, you know, I was never a prostitute, you know, but I said, I still have a testimony. And it was from that verse that I just stated. That's what made me think of it. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. My testimony is one day, one day, and I can picture it, I can remember it, is like it was yesterday. I, I realized I was one of the all. And I mean, I, I had credentials. I mean, I was children's Bible hour girl. I mean, I didn't cause my folks any trouble. You know, so, you know, you're thinking this, how can this be a testimony? It's so dull. It's so boring until you say, think of, the, think of the worst person in your mind that you think is the worst sinner. Who in your mind, who comes to your mind when you, if you want to classify the worst sinner? And I let them, I just let them think of, because everybody's probably got somebody different. I said, do you know that if you turn them inside out and you turned you inside out, if your heart is well without Jesus, you look identical. You look absolutely identical. Lost is lost. And I don't care what kind of background you've had. You are lost. And it's dark. You know, you can't be a little more lost or a little less lost. If you're lost, you're lost. I mean, it's just these practical little things But look at the difference in just the first two verses. Sin is sin. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So what are you going to, what are you going to do about it? So what kind of sinner are you? Verse one or verse two. But look here, you got eager ears in verse one. Second verse, you've got the men. Look at they're muttering. I looked at one verse and it was criticizing. Another version said complaining. I mean, but I got the message. Just complaining and then saying, "How can this man eat with sinners?" Like, see, down deep, they really don't think they are, but they didn't want to break. They think they're perfect. So Jesus told them a parable. And here again, it is a parable that you and I know so well. But now that you've had the first two verses and you know the context and you have to think about, okay, what kind of sinner am I? What kind, what, how do I need this particular well-known parable? Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. You have a hundred sheep and you lose one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? 
You know, we hear the story, we sing the song about it, you know, we know it backwards and forwards. And I think sometimes when people discuss this parable, they, they get on a, a little rabbit trail and all they want to do is figure out, well, what happened to the 99? You know, didn't he care about the 99? Yeah, he cared about the 99, but he knows they're in the pen. They're fine. And as simple as can be, this shepherd probably has a partner. He's probably saying, you watch them and I'm going after lost. I'm going after that little one. I mean, it's, it's not the story, the principle, the, the moral is not about the 99. It shows you how much Jesus loves the one. How much this shepherd loves this one. See, because this shepherd, this shepherd knows that when that little sheep jumps the fence, See, I look at the Ten Commandments as like a fence around us. And Jesus pretty much, you know, makes sure that we know when we follow his instruction, we stay in the pen and we listen and we're obedient. It's going to be okay. But in our own self, we still battle that. We always kind of want to jump the fence because after all, that grass just, looks greener. And it's so appealing to my flesh. I just want a little bit of fun. Who's going to know? I mean, after all, we got a hundred sheep here. Who's going to know? I'm only going to stay out there for a little while. I mean, you come up with all what, these excuses. You think, you try to justify, it's perfectly okay that I jump this fence. I'll get back before the shepherd even knows it. I mean, you know, you just work yourself into believing it. It's okay. So, you know, you jump the fence. And, and this little sheep probably had a blast. Probably got outside of that pen and thought, whoa, this is great. But that's what fin, sin feels like. I mean, you know, you jump out and you think, no one's telling me what to do and how to do it, and here I go. And when you are just that, and, and I don't want to say that, but sheep are dumb. And so are we. Because with that kind of rationalization, that is not smart thinking. You don't think of consequences. You, you don't think of any of that. All you think of it, what? Yourself. Bottom line problem every time. And so this little sheep, you know, jumps the fence and, you know, is having a little playtime and all of a sudden, you know, maybe slips or whatever and, and all of a sudden we see pictures, you know, caught in briar bush. There it sits. Or, if you know this about sheep, they slip and they, and they stumble and they fall on their back. They're not even smart enough to know how to turn over. And so there they are, and they're trying so hard. So whether the little sheep is in the briar bush and can't get out working, trying so hard to do it himself, can't do it. Whether he's on his back and tries to tip over on his fours again, can't do it. Works so hard, he's pooped. He's so tired trying to do it yourself, and it got him nowhere. Hmm, is this starting to register? How we try to do it ourselves? Either salvation, we try to save ourselves by our good deeds or church attendance or talk ourselves into whatever, or, or if we veered off course. We veered off course, and we know it, but oh, it feels so good, and and then we talk ourselves. We, we even do a Jonah sometimes. Well, there's the ship to Tarsus. Looks like it's a God thing to me. Talk yourself right into it. 
So, you know, then this, this shepherd comes. And I think for the first time, it really hit me this week that the shepherd went after him. I mean, after all, he's got 99. I mean, you know, accidents happen. He's going to have to pay the consequences, you know. So we lose one. We got 99. You know, there's all that rationalization. But the shepherd doesn't. The shepherd wants to go after that one because he's valuable. Don't you just feel hugged? Don't you just love it the way Jesus comes after you? How does he come after you? Well, he comes after you in all different kinds of ways. Through friends' invitation, through your personal time or an experience, uh, maybe a catastrophe, um, anything to get your attention. He is coming after you so that what? You throw up your hands and the word is desperate. We've been talking about that. The word is desperate. And you're on your back with all fours, and you know you can't get over it. And you finally say, okay. That's what Jesus is wanting to hear. And, and then you see this beautiful picture of, of the shepherd finally finding the sheep. And, I mean, that poor little thing, he doesn't have an ounce of strength in him. But isn't that how we finally come to the cross of Christ? We're so humble. We have worked so hard trying to do it ourselves. And then all of a sudden... We hear the shepherd say, just, just let me do it. Let me help you. I'm the only one that can save you. And he takes the little sheep out of the briar bush or he turns them over. And because he doesn't have the strength even to walk himself, the shepherd puts him around his shoulder and carries him back home. Oh, what a picture. What a beautiful picture of how the Lord Jesus works, how much he loves you and I. How we see human nature and how we want to jump the fence and how we talk ourselves into that this is okay. And it's all called grace, amazing grace. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I mean, he wants to share this. And he, did you see? He joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders and goes home. So he's filled with joy. And then what does he do with his friends and neighbors? Let's all rejoice together. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Did you... Did you struggle with that a little bit? I mean, I looked at that and I thought, there isn't one of us that don't need to repent. So is Jesus maybe being, you know, he's trying to get the attention of the Pharisees who are thinking that they're perfect and, you know, well, what did I do? I, I, I don't have anything to confess and repent of. No, I do everything right. I follow all those 700 plus laws. Remember Paul when he said, you know, as far as, you know, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin and I'm looking, listen to all my, look at all my credentials and as far as the law, I am blameless. And I mean, he, he said, I followed every law. And yet he's saying, I count that all for nothing because I needed to be introduced to Jesus. I was missing it all, being this religious Smarty pants. And yet, I, I was missing it all. 
I get asked every now and then, especially if you've been raised in the Reformer, because you're from denomination, a lot of times, you know, we just kind of think that, you know, we, because I have asked somebody, when did, when did you become a Christian? Now I'm starting to say, when did Jesus become real to you? Um, because I was getting so many of this answer. I was getting so many uh, times people were saying this. Oh, I was always one. I was always one. I was born one. I was always one. That's what I heard all the time. So I've changed it because I think there's, there, there's this mental attitude that it just kind of happens. Along the way, it just kind of happens. Now, I know many do not know the day or the time, the exact minute that it happened, but, but from this scripture, I just want to point out to you there was a second that it happened when Jesus became real to you. Maybe you don't exactly know when it was or it's something that maybe you better think about because according to scripture, it said the second that you confessed and repented and, and you became one of his, your whole eternal destiny changed. And more importantly, it says that there was a party over the one, over the one that, that re confessed and repented. It said that there was more rejoicing in heaven over that one than the 99. And, and there again, maybe the 99, maybe Jesus isn't trying to talk to the Pharisees and that maybe he's trying to say, you know, those 99 have already had an experience of confession and repentance and, and they're already been made right by the blood of the Lamb. They're in the pen. They're fine. Stop thinking about them. They're fine. In this context here. So whichever way you want to look at it. No. But anyway, I just think, you know, from this scripture, I think you do have to admit that there is a time that you had to make a conscientious decision to say, I choose to follow Christ. And when that happened, when Jesus became real to you, all heaven exploded. So, it says it right there. Now, if you've read Letter Edition, you notice that Jesus is just continuing in this same kind of flow. To me, he's now going after their heart. He's going after... And, I, and sometimes with these Pharisees and the way they would handle, you know, when Jesus would heal. And, you know, I was thinking of the man with a withered hand. Remember, just because Jesus did it on the Sabbath. I mean, here, here is a man that hasn't been able to use his hand and arm, and now he's got an arm that works, and you'd think they'd be thrilled when they watch this, and plus all the other miracles. miracles. A demon-possessed young man. Now, he's, he's now dressed in hair combed and, and just so healed. Would they be thrilled about that? But no, they find fault. They're critical. They're murmuring. They're complaining. That's what Jesus wants us to see here. What kind of sinner are you? Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. 
You know, what a picture he, he wants to picture, have us picture here. What a, what a visual he wants us to see. We've got this lady. Now, she's got 10 silver coins. Now, I don't know the worth of that, but I would dare say that this woman is not a wealthy woman. I think the fact that she loses one coin is detrimental to her budget. I think she just really can't afford to lose this one coin. This one coin is very special to her, whether it's necessary or it's just the way this woman is. But she is determined to find it. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? I mean, you, you can't help but see that she wants, she's so desperate, she desires to find it so much that she will do whatever it takes. So the first thing she does is she gets a lamp. She turns the light on so she can see where she's going. She turns the light on. And then she sweeps the house. Now, I think she's moving furniture. I think she's going into the corners. I think she, this is hard work. This is taking time and effort, but she's willing to do it. And then it says, and she searches carefully. I mean, she keeps it up. It's kind of like that parable that Jesus told about, you know, the, the friend that came to his friend's house and, and said, you know, you got to help me. I, I got company unexpectedly and I need some bread. And, and the parable says that the man whose house his friend came to, he, he wasn't going to get up because they were friends. He got up because this man was not going to give up. He finally just got up because this man was so persistent and asking and seeking and knocking. And this is what I see with this woman. That she, she lights her lamp, she sweeps the floor, every little nook and cranny, and she does it persistently until she searches carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. I don't really know when I was studying this why this came to my mind. I, at this Christmas, um, Tom and I did something. Uh, we decided that, um, well, every year I try to give my kids and grandchildren, I try to give them something that... I mean, even after I'm gone, I hope they say, well, remember every Christmas, Grandma gave us this devotional or something, you know, because, and I kind of thought, all right, this woman, she reminds me of me when it comes to the intensity of how I want my kids to find it. I want them to find it. Now, I know I've got two ministers, and you think you could just kind of let them go, oh, they, they know. No, I mean, I have seen from my own personal experience, anytime you get a little spiritual cocky and you think you've got it, that's when you better hang on tight. So I take nothing for granted. Yeah, they're pastors, they are, but, but, they, but they are human, and they battle the self, and they, they battle just like everybody else does. And then, of course, you have your grandchildren who are growing up in this kind of world. 
And I have learned, I have learned, I pray for them every day before I start my day. And you know, it only takes, I've told you this many times, you know, I used to pray, it took me forever. And Chad needs this and Jason needs this. And, and you know, Jody and Amy, they, and you know, this were, it, it was just taking me forever. And this is what I want you to do. And this is how I want you to do it. And you know, Jenna, at Kelvin now, you know, the temptation's there. And I mean, you could just go on and on. And there's your day. And I thought, you know what? I've got too much to do today. So I have learned, I just, I just pray. And it takes me just such a short time. But I say, okay, Lord, you know who belongs to me. Do what you have to do today. Do whatever it takes. And I know it took a while for me to say that. Do whatever it takes. Because, see, that takes care of everything. Do whatever it takes to keep them close to you because that will help them in their decision-making, in their choices. So that one simple request, Lord, I just want you to, you've got the freedom to do whatever it takes because I want my kids. I want my kids to be so tight and close to you. So this Christmas, I thought, all right, I, I went on, online on Chris, Christian Book, and, and I noticed that Max Licato came out with a beautiful other devotional called God in Your Everyday. And you know, of course I want my children to spend hours in the Word studying, but come on, we got to start somewhere, right? So if, they can, if I can just get them to open this Beautiful scripture verse, and then in his simple way, it was such a beautiful devotion. Leather, open it up, it stays put. I mean, just such a beautiful book. And then when I gave it to him, I said, don't even think about regifting this, because I got your name in it. <laughs> put your name in it, and I put grandma and mom in there, too. So just to make sure you know. But then, but then this time I did something different. And Tom agreed. And I said, how about if we put money for a bookmark? That'll do it. Put money for a bookmark. So we used this devotional, and there we stuck money. Oh, their eyes were bigger than saucers when they opened it up. You can spend the money when you read the devotional, you know? So anyway, I... I Two weeks later, it's Sunday night. It's been two weeks. I was thinking, I wonder how they're doing by that. wonder how they're doing. So I wrote every one of them. I wrote every one of them and said, just checking to see how you're doing with the devotional. You know, um, what, what, have, what have you learned? Wasn't this day a good one? You know, <laughs> and I wish I could tell you, oh, I heard from everyone. Everyone said, oh, Graham, Mom, this was great. This is so good. I can't wait to get in it every day. I heard from nobody. <laughs> so I take that back. No, it took a couple days, but I finally heard from one. And this is what he said to me. <clears throat> I might as well be honest with you. I'm on a every other day schedule, but that's better than nothing, right? That's what, the, and I have to say, I did laugh because I thought, yeah, it is better than nothing. But, but then I went back to this. I thought, okay, what did I do? I brought, I turned the light on. I gave them the light of scripture. It's right there for them. And then it says, then you have to sweep the house. I mean, I, I mean, if I didn't care, and I wrote that to them, if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't do this. 
You can roll your eyes all you want. But I, I only do this because I love you. So, you know, think what you want. Say what you want. But I'm going to keep it up. And you know what I've decided? I'm going to write them every two weeks. Every two weeks, they're going to get this little note from me saying, oh, how you doing? How you doing in your devotional? I know that sounds like a pain in the neck, but I'm going to keep sweeping the floor. I'm going to go into every nick and cranny. I'm going to make sure that there is no way this coin is going to be lost forever. I'm going to carefully keep going with this until, see, because my dream, my goal is that one by one, I mean, I have got great kids, and I've got great grandkids, but I want them loving Jesus so much that their whole life is based around that. That's the goal. And I want something of this book, this light, to all of a sudden be flashed on, and they get it. Because believe me, oh, would I ever be this? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I can remember when Jason, when Jason came to know Jesus. Oh, I'm telling you, you know, if you've got a wayward kid. And all of a sudden, you know, not all of a sudden, you know, the Lord is gradually working on them. And when they finally comply, I mean, you do want to call the neighbors. You want to call everybody. And you rejoice. You know, I, I might sound ridiculous with this, maybe over the top in some ways. But what do we want most for our kids? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we, we do, of course, we, we want them to be financially secure. We want them to be happy. We want all these things. But really, in the scope of, of what scripture tells us, what do you want? I, I want them to be there. I want them to be there for all eternity. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, there you have it again. I mean, that's how much Jesus loves you and I. That even though he might have nine coins, he might have 99 sheep, but you and I, the one, is very important. And he'll come after. Jesus continued. See, he continued. There was a man who had two sons. I'm sure that you can see now that, that we're talking about, you know, like I said, we have two, we have sinners, all sinners, but we have two different kinds of sinners. So here again, it shows, it proves that. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, in my searching, I found that that, that was permissible. It was rare to happen. But that a father could divide his inheritance up and give it to a child before he died. But it was very rare. And we know in this case, this child was, was immature, wasn't thinking, was, was rebellious, was a big old know-it-all, certainly knew more than his dad, 
self-consumed. He was all of that. Now, it said here, it says that so the father divided his property between them. Now, my first thought when I read that, because the dad knows his kid, this father knows his son. He knows, he knows that he's in a rebellious state. He's at that, you know, time in his life where he's sowing as well. He, he knows everything about his son. I think, why didn't, why didn't you say, no? Why didn't this father just come out and say, no, not, not going to give it to you? Because I know this isn't going to end well. But the father doesn't. He, he, in fact, he, he doesn't say no. He divides and he gives it to him. But I thought, you know what? That is so Jesus. I mean, there are times when I think, Jesus, why didn't you just say no? And I believe Jesus is saying, well, if you think you're so smart, if you think you know better than me, my words and my instruction to you, you want your way so badly that, okay, go ahead, go ahead, and you will learn. Now, that's, that's hard to do. I mean, that's really, I think it would have been easier for this father, just like it, it would have been easier for, for me to, to just, you know, I know they probably didn't want that devotion, devotional, but because I love him, and I think this is the same thing with the father. He says, okay, I love you so much, and so I want you to learn, and I want you to learn whatever it takes, and so if you have to learn the hard way, I think that's why he did it. Not long after that, the young son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and he squandered his wealth and wild living. I mean, can you imagine what a blast he had? I mean, I can just picture him leaving that day, you know, and he's got, he's got the wad of cash in his pocket, and he is, he's, ready, he's ready to go and party, and he's got the money, and then he'll have all the, all the people flooding around him, and he is King Tut, and he's Mr. Popular. And can you just picture this? Oh, he is, he is having a great time. And he's not thinking twice about consequences. It says after he had spent everything, and I bet it didn't even take that long. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. I mean, this kid loves his independence. He loves this rebellious, reckless feel. He never really thought of himself as foolish or anything, but you know, when it came right, when it came crashing down on him, he really had no one else to blame. It, it was his fault, and I think this is where God gets the raw deal sometime, when sometimes I think we really need to just take a look. Is this a consequence of my disobedience? And a lot of times, you know, in our sin, he always warned us there's going to be consequences. And a lot of times, what we're having to pay for are the consequences. So this, this kid cannot blame anybody but himself that his world is crashing in on. Now, granted, he had no control over the famine, but I think that was the icing on the cake that the Lord used. Like, I'm going to show you. 
I'm going to show you. You are so helpless. I'm going to get you so desperate that you just come to your senses. So what did he do? He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Now, is what we know about a Jewish boy in the center of a pig pen, I mean, there, doesn't, there isn't anything that's lower than that. Because, you know, swine, that was such an unclean animal. And so this isn't a coincidence that Jesus made the point here and put him in the lowest state that he could possibly get and I know that the Lord loves us so much, but I think there's times he says, I love you so much that, that um, I'm sorry to have to do this to you, but you've got to hit rock bottom. Because this is the only way I'm going to get your attention. This is what this, this not-nosed kid needed. You know, this immature, smart aleck that thought he knew better. But isn't that us? When we think that we need our way and we work so hard because we want to be happy and comfortable, none of this suffering business. And sometimes the Lord just says, I need you to learn. And I'm sorry to have to do this to you, but I want you to see that I am all you need. And this kid is at the bottom of the barrel, and he longed to fill his stomach. He is so hungry that he wanted to eat the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And you can't miss that this is low. This kid is at the low point. But verse 17, he had to be. He had to get to that point. He had to be that low. Because when he came to his senses, see, that finally got him to think. And what does that mean he came to his senses? Probably all the things his father had been trying to teach him all his life. Probably um, Sunday school teachers that kept telling him the stories of Jesus. You know, those youth group meetings, those youth leaders, those, you know, all these things, I think, because this, this is such young people today who think they know it all and they have walked away from it all. But sometimes, someday, they'll come to their senses and I think all of a sudden they will start remembering all those truths. That's why it's so important that we don't stop teaching them even though we think they're not listening. I remember that night when Jason came home after, after getting saved, and, and he said, you know, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden I could hear all those things that you and Dad kept saying to me. Never thought he was listening. And he never listened. But apparently they are. They come to their senses. It's like they recall So when he came to his senses, this is what he says. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say, so do you see this? He made a conscientious choice. He came to the end of himself. He was humbled to a pulp. 
He throws up his hands in desperation. Isn't this what we've been learning since September? This is the condition the Lord says you and I have to get to. And then he starts coming up with, this is what I'm going to say. It's like he's preparing his speech. This is what I'm going to say to my father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In fact, make me like one of your hired men. I mean, that was his, that was his, that was his little speech that he was going to give to his, his dad. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, I think we all love this part of the story, don't we? We never get tired of this. But this is just another lesson about you just don't give up. You don't throw in the towel and say, well, nuts to you. I have just given you everything that I can. I am spent. I am writing you off. That's not the picture we see, is it? I mean, you know, this father knows. I mean, it's breaking his heart. He, he knows the condition. He knows his money isn't going to last. He knows that this kid's going to hit rock bottom. It breaks his heart. He's standing at the window because he is confident that this kid will come to his senses and come back. He's standing there waiting because while he is still away off, the father saw him. He, so he had, been, had to be looking because he saw him from afar off. The father's filled with compassion so much so that he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. The son then starts his speech. The father... I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I think he was ready to take the next breath. And the father grabs him and says to his servant, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. So he began to celebrate. The kid couldn't even finish his speech. Because you know what? The father heard just what he needed to hear. The father heard confession and repentance. That's all he needed. And that's what our father needs to hear. Confession and repentance. And that's all. And then he'll take it from there. But this is all this father needed to hear. This is what gets the ball rolling. And look, look how excited Look how excited. You know, I couldn't help but go to Psalm 51 because it reminded me of David. When David in Psalm 51 wrote these words, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak, justified when you judge. I mean, it just sounded so much the same. This is what the Lord loves to hear. I mean, I almost want to stop there, right? You just want to stop there and you just want to bask because this is such a picture. The prodigal has come home. Salvation at its best. This is what Jesus came for, to redeem us, take us from the pit of where we were and set us on the rock to stay 
And then there's verse 25. You have to keep going. My version uses the word meanwhile. <laughs> while, while all this is going on, it's so wonderful. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now, what do you think the brother should have been doing when he heard this news? Where is he? Where is he? I can't wait to see him. I'm so glad he's still alive. I had him dead in the street somewhere because he, he just didn't have the sense enough to know what he was doing. You know, I mean, just so excited. See, this is where, this is exactly why Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, see, this is you. You don't get excited. In, in Luke 7, where the sinful woman comes in, and she walks right past you because she doesn't care what you think. She knows she's got to get to Jesus. And she hears the words, your sins are forgiven. Now go live in peace. And he got, oh, crabby pants, Simon the Pharisee, thinking to himself, boy, if he really knew what kind of girl she was, would he'd get her out of here. I mean, Jesus is saying, wait, don't you have a heart? Don't you even care? You know, I go back to this, in this parable, in the top of my Bible on this parable. I mean, I've got the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and here I've got the parable of the lost son. I'm telling you, we are now dealing with the lost son. This is the son that's lost. Because we, we saw the one, the one kid who, who knew he was a sinner, yeah, and, and did something about it. Humbled himself, confessed, and repented. Listen to this kid. Look how, look how confused and deluded he is. So, you know, he refuses to go in. He refuses to go in and see his brother. So his father went out and pleaded with him. That, too, just hit me like a brick. Because the father went after his lost son just like he went after the prodigal. He went after him. He loves this son just as much. This is why Jesus went to the Pharisees' homes. This is why he put himself in those situations where I know this isn't going to be easy, but I have got to at least keep trying. So the father goes out. I think this is one thing I just want to remember from this chapter is that we have a Savior who loves us so much that yes, for salvation, he will come after us, but also when we have veered off track, he will come after us. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. See, like, come on, you never did anything wrong. You th see, he thinks he's perfect. He is not happy. He is not, I mean, I think he's got the most sour look on his face. He is mad. He's hateful. Yeah, he's the lost son. 
Because he, he is the kind of sinner that doesn't think he needs, he needs any help. Because I've done everything right. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours couldn't even call him his brother. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. See, he thinks he, he levels in. He thinks just because, you know, he hasn't, you know, carried out with prostitutes and has been a prodigal and all this, he thinks that he's perfectly fine. Doesn't that sound like church people? See, this is why, you know, in Minnesota, I said, do you want to hear my testimony? I'm a good church kid. Didn't cause my folks a bit of trouble. But guess what? I realized I was one of the all. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Greatest day of my life. You know, maybe that didn't blow your hair back because I don't have some big colorful story to tell you, but I'm telling you, I was lost. My son, the father said, my son. I mean, look at, he's trying, and this is what Jesus has been trying to do with the Pharisees. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. Being, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, see, the father put a this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. He's trying to tell those Pharisees, going back to verse 2, as they sit there and they're murmuring and they're complaining in their critical spirit, you have no business being critical and complaining. We are all sinners. And the angels proclaim that we have a Savior. And you can do something about it. But if you choose not to do anything about it, then you're going to have to bear the consequences. I mean, but in these three parables, don't you just feel loved? Unconditional love, amazing grace, deep mercy. I hope that there's somehow you look at this and you are grateful you were here tonight. Heavenly Father, again, we praise you for being so direct and that you try every kind of emotion. You try every kind of situation, circumstance, whatever it takes. See, that's really true. I think we can say that. We can, we really, we can really pray that about and for people that we love. Do what you have to do. Because eternity is a long, long time. And it might hurt for a while. But Father, may we trust you enough. Salvation, eternity, waywardness, off the track, that's all so severe. Because so often once you get off track, you, you are just blinded and you can't even see what you're doing. So, Father, may we just take a look tonight and notice that, yeah, of course, we are all sinners, but what kind of sinner am I? Am I, am I like those tax collectors and sinners who can't? Am I gathering around your word? Because I just want to hear more. I want to know more. 
because I want to live the way you intended me to live. I want to get through life victoriously. I don't want to listen to the loud clanging of the world's drum. The clash of the world trying to tell me that I need to be a certain way or I need to live this long. Or, but you know exactly you've got a plan. Do we trust you enough with that, that we can surrender? Stay in the pen. Father, again, this is such a valuable lesson. Kind of hits us. But most of all, again, we say thank you for loving us so much so that we have the choice to say our chains are gone. Father, we just praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.